This is the, the last in a series that we've been doing on service. Um, now, there has been a bit of a break since the last one because we've had harvest, uh, we had Sunday school prizes, and before that, the moderator's visit. But here we are, we're, we're back again for this last one as we draw to a close looking at service. Now, some of you will know of the books and movies by J.R. Uh, Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings. And in the first book, the, the Fellowship of the Rings, The Hobbits, Frodo, Sam, Pippin, and Merry, they set off in their odyssey uh, about the ring. And when they get to the Prancing Pony Inn, it's a wonderful name for a place, isn't it? The Prancing Pony Inn, they met a stranger. This is a person who is menacing and mysterious. A person who people are unsure about and they view him with suspicion. He's known as Strider. But over time, it becomes clear that rather than being menacing, he is an important ally. In fact, he is the king who has been in exile from his throne. Long before Tolkien had this theme of, of a disguised leader and king, there's the legend of, of Robin Hood. There's different versions of this, but one of the early legends had, had Robin being a man who was born into nobility, and then after having been off on the, the crusades, he comes back dressed as an abbot and only to find that his land has been taken away by a sheriff. We also have a version of this in Mark Twain's The, the Prince and the Pauper. An ordinary boy, Tom, ends up swapping places with Edward, the Prince of Wales. And the real, real Prince Edward ends up living outside the royal palace in humble surroundings suffers beatings, all sorts of abuse, because he is a nothing, at least compared to a prince. And yet this, this, this drama of someone of noble birth being, becoming an incognito king, a king who is so humble that they become like the ordinary people around them, goes way back much further than the 1500s. In fact, throughout the Bible, we see ordinary people encounter a stranger who they later discover in shock was none other than the creator, king of the whole universe. As Abraham entertained three strangers, his wife Sarah laughed when she overheard a promise that she would become a mother. But Abraham's guest was none other than God. Jacob wrestled with an adversary who turns out to be God. After Jesus' death, Mary sees a man who she thinks is a gardener and pleads to know where Jesus' body had been taken, only to realize that, in fact, the gardener is Jesus. Two distraught and broken travelers heading towards Emmaus, joined by an unknown person, and as they later, later break bread, they realized that their unknown companion who had comforted them and taught them as they walked in utter distress is none other than their king, Jesus. You know, in all of these, we see God and Jesus lowering themselves to be amongst us. And that is at the core of this passage that we read, particularly those verses 5 to 11. How King Jesus lowers and submits himself to humanity. 
You know, at its core, we see a, a willingness to leave behind what Jesus had. And for us, the main message is that we too are to offer ourselves in sacrificial service, serving God and other people. This is an alien idea in this world. We live in a world that is increasingly about self. How am I doing? What is in it for me? And yet this idea of Christian sacrificial service is the exact opposite. In Jesus, we see the exact opposite. Now, I'm going to have to stop saying this, but, but this is another of my favorite passages and, and verses in the Bible. It is one of the most stunning, beautiful, dramatic pieces of poetry or a hymn in the Bible. One commentator, Johnson, describes these verses of 5 to 11 like this. It is a majestic mountain peak towering over the surrounding countryside. It is a pinnacle of theological truth, piercing the heavens and probing the mystery of the incarnation. Its dramatic movement traces the inverted arc of Christ's redemptive mission from divine glory down into humiliation and death and then up again to heaven's heights in resurrection splendor. And verse 5 tells us that whatever these verses tell us about Jesus, then we are to have the same mindset. We are to have the same attitude. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. And what is that attitude? It's an attitude of humility. Self-sacrifice, servanthood, not having an attitude of superiority over others, but having an attitude of putting others before self. And there's just a couple of ideas that I want us to explore as we, we see this. Two, not three. And the reason there's two is because I want to disprove the fact that Presbyterians always have three points. So the two things that we will see today as we will see sacrificial service in laying down one's life. And we will see sacrificial service for the sake of others. Jesus wasn't just any ordinary man. Jesus is unique. Jesus is beyond what our brains and logic can understand. Because these verses tell us that his very nature is that of God. Jesus was and is fully divine. In our world, we see it so often, people get a status and then they use and abuse it to get for themselves. Not to pick on these people because it, this issue is throughout society, but isn't this one of the, the reasons that there is so little faith in politicians? Remember the expenses scandal, how they just seemed to get and take for themselves because of their status? It is evident throughout many other aspects of our modern life. But that isn't what happens with Jesus. Jesus did not use his status as God's son to be an opportunity to get for himself. Rather, he did the exact reverse. He gave. 
he gave. He made himself nothing, nothing, nothing. And he gave, and he gave, and he gave. He humbled himself. He lowered himself and became fully human. Can you imagine God's son giving up everything to be born fully human? He lived a fully human life as a baby, as a child, as a teenager, as a young man. He faced temptation as any man or woman or child does, and yet he remained perfect, perfect and sinless. Because he was fully divine, he could have used this, but Jesus didn't. He gave up all his rights as God's son. And what did he become? He became a nobody. He became a servant. A slave. How many of us, if we were offered the opportunity to give up everything we had and become a servant or a slave, would do so and do so willingly? Yet this is what Jesus did. Jesus took the very nature of a servant. Slaves had no rights. They were complete nobodies. If anything, they were simply an asset on their owner's balance sheet because they had a commercial value, but they were a nobody. And Jesus, who was fully God, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And so now, as fully God and fully human, in this servant, slave-like, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. I don't know how many times you might have read those words How many times have you noticed the exclamation mark at the end of that sentence, even death on a cross? Exclamation marks are not supposed to be used in formal writing very often. But in our modern society, and uh, all of us, and I, I definitely do this, we overuse exclamation marks in social media, text messages and WhatsApp messages. But you see, the point of an exclamation mark is to draw attention to an emphatic statement. And that is what this is. Jesus, fully God, fully human, submits himself to death on a cross. We overuse the word cross. For many of us, it really means nothing when we say it. But in Roman times, when the word cross was spoken, it would have drawn gasps of horror and revulsion. It would not have been used in polite conversation. Death on a cross was for the worst of criminals and slaves. And yet here is Paul telling us that Jesus, our Lord, and exactly because he is that kind of God, He submits himself to become a nothing, 
and nobody, a slave. And then if that isn't enough, he submits himself to the most hideous, vile, cruel, obscene death that is only reserved for the worst of the worst offenders. This is meant to shock us. The God who made everything out of nothing and yet he allows his only son to die that sort of death for us. And our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Jesus tells us in Matthew 10 verse 38, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Luke 17, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it and whoever loses their life will preserve it. 1 John 3, 16 to 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. There will be some who face literally laying down their life and dying for Jesus. You know, many of the missionaries from, that our denomination sent to, to China and India during the late 1800s and early 1900s, many of them paid that price, leaving their family and serving God in remote places, dying there of diseases, exhaustion, and malnutrition. We know that there are people dying for their faith for Jesus in persecuted countries around the world. But most of us will not. But we are called to metaphorically lay down our life for others. Everything we do in our life should speak of who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us. What is it that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 23? He says that even though he is free and doesn't belong to anyone, he has made himself a slave to everyone. He becomes all things to all people for the sake of the gospel, so that he can win people for Christ. 2 Corinthians 11, he says how he worked harder than anyone else. He's been in prison more often. He's been flogged more severely. He's been beaten with sticks. He's pelted with stones. All for Jesus. Our service to Jesus could have a high cost to us. It might mean not having some of the financial security we used to have or that our friends and those around us have. It might mean not getting that new car that we always wanted. It might mean going into difficult places to speak of Jesus, just as organizations like Open Doors do, where they bring Bibles to some of the most difficult places in the world where there are persecuted Christians. It might mean speaking of Christ with people that we might find difficult, who are not like us. This is the example of what our service, our sacrificial service might be like. There is no limit to what it might entail or where we might end up serving. You know, over these last few weeks, there have been some people who have volunteered to serve 
maybe that, that haven't take, uh, done that before. We have new Sunday school and Bible class teachers, new people offering to help out with practical things like cutting grass, looking after the grounds, fixing lights. We have people helping with tea and coffee. Service isn't all about teaching and being up front. It can be behind the scenes. But serving and doing so for the right reason is key. Jesus does not want us to serve simply because we are told to. No, we are to do so out of love. Humble love and concern for those around us. Let's remind ourselves of what Paul says in those, the first verses uh, 3 to 5 of that chapter 2 that we read. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. This is the call for everyone that is a follower of Jesus. It is a call to everyone in the church. The church of Christ, the body of Christ. This is the life that we are to live. For some, it might mean sacrificial giving in monetary terms. Giving that money that maybe was used to go for another cup of coffee might be the goods, whether we get, gather up items and give them to the food bank. Could be gathering and donating items as we did to support the vocational training center in Burkina Faso. Could be giving as we have to Kilmount for the building of that uh, and development of those stables. It could be helping prepare meals for the freezer ministry. Meals that can be given to people who are having a tough time in their lives at the moment. Or that sacrificial service could be as simple as calling with someone, a neighbor, a friend, someone who we know is lonely or is having a difficult time, and maybe just tidying for them, making lunch or a cup of tea. This isn't just the task of ministers, elders, people on committee, and a few others. Serving others is the calling and vocation of everyone who is a Christian. Counting others as more significant than ourselves is to be the constant and humble and sincere attitude of our heart and soul. Looking out for others. Looking out for the interests of others. That is to be the description of all who are a part of the body of Christ. Because remember what Jesus said and did while Jesus and the disciples shared their last meal together. John 13, verses 14 to 16. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him.
But whatever we do, serving Jesus, we should do so willingly. We should do so with a joyful heart, in humility, knowing that our reward may not be thanks. It mightn't even get a smile, though often it does. But the reward is in heaven. And we serve sacrificially, quite simply, because Jesus served and gave his life that we might live. And we are to do likewise.